Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangely Capital, and with me as always is my co-host and the founder of Rangely Capital, Chris Demuth. It is Tuesday, January 19th. Today we're going to start out by talking about the most interesting things we've seen in the market in the past week, and then we're going to move on to talking a bit about closed-end funds. And uh, Chris, it's been a pretty interesting week. Markets were down another 2% or so, and it kind of feels like it's been worse than that. So why don't you go ahead and start with your most interesting thing? Sure. Well, uh, we call our site online Sifting the World. I have been sifting the world. (laughs) I've been looking uh, at opportunities abroad. The U.S. dollar is strong and uh, happily uh, we have uh, plenty of U.S. dollars uh, looking for opportunities. And uh, uh, I found a number of them uh, this past week that I'm enthusiastic about. The one that I would mention uh, is in Romania. Uh, It is the Romanian restitution fund that was created uh, when the uh, communists uh, uh, had uh, taken assets from people and this was uh, returning a value to uh, citizens yep in the form of a public security uh, that uh, once it became available uh, was uh, uh, treated the way that uh, public securities often are when they're handed out to citizens. People didn't necessarily know what to do with it or necessarily want it. Uh, Many sold it price insensitively or simply paid no attention to it. Uh, And... uh, Today, it trades at a substantial discount, both to what they state as their NAV and to what I think it's worth. Yeah, so uh, so this is their restitution fund, but equivalently, it's basically the equivalent of a closed-end fund, right? So the, it is the fund, a closed-end fund. It owns a bunch of assets, and yes. the assets are worth X, but the fund trades publicly, and the fund trades at Y. Correct. And Y can be equal to X, it can be more than X. Or in this case, it's less than X, substantially less than X. So exactly, and, and the company is uh, so it is. It is the world's largest closed-end fund. It trades in the London Stock Exchange. Uh, that it is FP uh, uh, Fundual, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it uh, has an NAV per share uh, in local Romanian currency, but it's at one point. One six. The share price is 0.71. So in this case, the X is 1.16. The Y is 0.71. Y is substantially less than X, so you're buying the assets at a pretty big discount. At a 38% discount. Yep. Um, and uh, the other thing that's interesting to me about these discounts is the market price. You could say, is there good information in the market price or is there manager skill that justifies premiums or discounts? Now, I have a thought on both of those things. I'm a big skeptic of the whole concept of manager yep. skill. Yep. And with all due respect to people in the closed-end fund industry... That's not where it's going to be. That's not uh, yep. one of the uh, few and far between places where you find it. And we'll absolutely talk about that towards the end of the episode. So yep. when you have these big premiums, I, I, I tend to be uh, a skeptic. When you have these big discounts, I tend to be a skeptic that it's justified. Uh, and also the idea that the market is so prescient that they're correctly identifying and discounting it. They're usually just uh, experiencing euphoria or panic. If anything, of the closed-end funds that I've looked at, I'm thrilled to take a 38% discount, but I would prefer to own the things at par with massive discounts uh, than I would owning the things at par that have huge premiums. Yep. So I'll I'll mention one. 
Closed-end funds, if you think about them in general, and this is different and we need to discuss it, but in general, closed-end funds will own a bunch of stocks, Mm -hmm. and these are publicly traded stocks. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason most closed-end funds should treat at a discount because there's a management fee on top Mm -hmm. of them. So because you don't have the liquidity and there's that permanent management fee, they should treat at a little bit of a discount. In this case, there's a couple things to note. A, the 38% discount is much larger than kind of what any management fee would suggest. And B, a lot of the assets this fund holds, 60% of them, are actually unlisted, unpublicly traded assets. And I think that's actually something that could increase the effect of discount you're buying at. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? It it could. um, And uh, over time, the underlying assets have been going public. I've been very carefully watching as they go public, does that cause them to... Uh, mark down their NAVs. Yep. Historically, they've actually been marking up their NAVs uh, so that they have understated, not overstated. Uh, the managers here are uh, Templeton. I would describe them as kind of uh, A minus uh, talents. Uh, I hope they'll still return my calls. Minus <laughs> talents. Uh, but the largest holder is Paul Singer of Elliott, and they are A plus talents. So they'll so still return your call. They can return my call. Uh, and I care more about their calls. Uh, and they uh, also have a team of lawyers on the ground in Romania looking over Templeton's shoulders. Yep. So I'll just throw out some interesting stuff for listeners who might be interested in this. Uh, They have a website, which you can just Google Fondul, and I can't even pronounce it, Google Fondul Prop, F-O-N-D-U-L Prop, and you'll get to the website, and it's got very good disclosures on there. And there are a couple of other interesting things about it. 21% of shares are still owned by Romanian individuals, which I think if you can think of a less informed counterparty, I think that might be right up there with the most uninformed counterparties. Uh, We're going to get some hate mail from the <laughs> Romanian farmers now. But. but I would say that could be a reason for a persistent discount because mm-hmm. you, these guys, I'm sure they don't check and see like, oh, when's the best time to sell? They just sell when they need money. And 21% of shares is a lot. Uh, and the only other thing I'll mention is a lot of their assets are in oil and gas mm-hmm. or power generation, uh, power distribution. So I think that is one risk, cause for concern going forward. I think the discounts now have more than just for it, but that's just one risk. Anything else you want to add there? I would just say it's double counting to both have the underlying assets trade down and then increase yep. the uh, the discount. I would also just mention, uh, we, we, we said that uh, Paul Singer is their largest holder. He's a large holder. He's been increasing. Also, he's encouraged them to buy back shares. So yep. it's been kind of accretive for him in terms of the value that he owns. Um, but I would also say that it doesn't happen to come up in SEC filings in the U.S. So this yep. is something if you want to follow, you have to follow at the Romanian level and you start to discover people like Paul Singer other people such as uh, Bill Gates happens to be a substantial holder as well and uh, interestingly the discount you know when it first became publicly traded I think the discount was around 55% and it it shrunk to about 35-40% today so still a large discount but it's been it has been narrowing over time for what that's worth and, and Templeton is is, is uh, incentivized yep. uh, to do so. So that's what I have. It. Can we go back to the U.S.? Yep. Uh, what, yep. what have you Let's been go back to the U.S. About, so uh, what I've been spending most of my time on is a company that we've uh, we, we've written a little bit about online. It's Acorn. The ticker mm-hmm. is AKRX, and uh, it's kind of the perfect storm of things that have been dis- disliked this year. So. A, it's in the pharma sector, mm-hmm. and pharma shares in general are down about 20% since mm-hmm. the start of the year. But B, it's also had kind of lingering accounting issues. And I don't mean accounting issues in the terms most people think, where they think, oh, somebody ran off with all the money. There was issues with how they accounted for some acquisitions in 2014. Mm-hmm. 
and you can't file new financials until your old financials are in order. So that has pre prevented them from filing new financials and lingering issues with that has kind of caused some extra market fear and shares have traded down 30% since the start of the year. Uh, you know, we think this is a, a lot of people have sold this because they were worried that uh, the NASDAQ was going to delist them because of these accounting issues. And we've mentioned delisting before, but selling because of fear of delisting or because a stock is delisted doesn't really impact the fundamentals of a business. And it's a place where we really like to look for kind of taking advantage of panic selling non-economic sellers who have to sell. Well, last week, Acorn came out and said, hey, we're not going to have to delist. We're on track to finish our restatements by May. We're going to provide a lot more information going forward. And shares actually really haven't budged that much since then. And this is a rapidly growing company. They generate a lot of cash flow. They trade at about 9x EBITDA, and most of their peers have been taken out for 15, 20x EBITDA. And I think at some point in the next year or two, they'll get uh, taken out for double today's stock prices very well within play. I think over the long term, it's nice if they can both add value and make me knowledgeable and comfortable. But yep. over very short increments, as long as they're adding value, it's really not their job to make me comfortable and knowledgeable about what's happening. Exactly. If we can know by May, that seems to be... Good enough. You know, I think this looks like one of the companies that you could have an entire presidential uh, primary debate just about the issues <laughs> confronting it between M&A, pharma pricing, and so forth. You really could. And, you know, the generics, uh, generic pricing, they make a lot of unique generics. Uh, and there's been some examples, not with them per se, but some examples of if a generic is in shortage, price raises and stuff. So pharma sector, accounting issues, price raises, I think you can run the gamut with these guys. But ultimately, I think they'll get taken out for a big premium and it's a very valuable franchise. Well, good, because I own a bunch of it and <laughs> uh, happy to hear you say that. And I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, so, Chris, why don't we move on to a little bit more on closed-end funds right now. But before we get there, uh, just a quick reminder to any of our listeners, if you don't already follow us, we're on uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. Please follow and rate us there if you haven't already rated us. If you've already rated us and followed us, please recommend us to a friend who you think be kind of interested in our thoughts on all things finance. So Chris, with that, let's move to closed-end funds. Okay. And I think one of the areas we have pretty consistently said is closed-end funds are a perfect area for mispricing. In the beginning, when they trade at a premium, they're a perfect area for overpricing. And in the end, when they normally trade at big discounts, when the people who bought at premiums have lost a lot of money, that's when they're a really interesting area for underpricing. So why don't you talk about that a little? Uh, statistically, uh, in terms of the mispricing, a closed-end fund is the, uh, is the quintessential free lunch, or as it turns out for an IPO, in Overpriced lunch, consistently over the inverse of it. It's lunch. the free lunch for the broker who's selling <laughs> yes. it to you. Yes. No, it's um, if if you want to uh, kind of vet somebody who you would not want to date your daughter or somebody you'd not want to manage your money, uh, asking them if they are <coughs> comfortable uh, selling you a closed-end fund on yep. an IPO is probably one of the purest uh, tests for uh, dishonesty and legal uh, graft uh, you can come up with. So let's talk about the, the closed-end IPO process. Sure. The way a closed-end fund is created is uh, basically you get a bunch of people and mm -hmm. they say, hey, you give us $110 million and we will keep $10 million of mm -hmm. it. And then with the other $100 million, we'll go invest that in stocks. And you, you know, the $110 million you had is now worth $100 million, mm -hmm. and we're going to charge fees on that for the life of the fund. Yep. And that's really how a closed-end fund is, uh, is created. Now, 
Why would someone buy this? Well, uh, your description is apt. The reason why they would buy this is people sell what is the most faddish, in-favor, trendy thing at the moment. So these are not people looking, uh, sleuthing out for bargains. They might glance at CNBC and say, hey... Uh, some type of stock is in favor and that that's what they're trying to sell you. So the way it normally works is it's not, oh, closed-end diversified fund. They'll say, we've got this closed-end fund that targets the internet. And it doesn't matter that the stocks they buy are, you can go buy them publicly, oh, Amazon, sorry. Google, Facebook. What they want is they want a product that they could sell for a big commission. If you were going to launch one at the end of last year, it probably would be the FANG stocks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, that, that, uh, I always thought Google was unfairly lumped in there just because it created a cooler acronym. So, we can debate valuation and what metrics make the difference, but there's no question Google is kind of a value stock. It trades at 10, 12x PE, whereas Facebook, Netflix, and Amazon, I'm not saying they're under or overvalued, but they, they don't trade at PE. They don't really have any actual earnings so they would trade at kind of infinite PEs and it just got lumped in there because it made a nice acronym and then absolutely the uh then the uh, sellers the the underwriters uh, they come up with something trendy and then they try to find the most credulous people they can the elderly yep. uh, anybody who's on in their rolodex who will do what they recommend yep. who uh, will treat the salesmen as if they are their friendly uh, companions yep. uh, and uh and then they'll uh then they'll uh, stick them with this stuff yep. they'll, they'll typically offer uh, with their promotion the promise that they're that they're waiving their brokerage fees which yep. is one of the most duplicitous things <laughs> hey, i'm gonna keep 10 percent of the money you give me but i'm not gonna charge, charge you five dollars <laughs> to buy into this yep. it'd be as if somebody went, went to a neighbor's house and took 10 percent of their stuff but didn't charge them rent <laughs> in yep. the process while so they're I, another one i've always been skeptical of it, it's very similar to charging a kind of five percent brokerage fee to access a mutual fund but we we can go there another time it's like a front end load yeah exactly it's a front end load but for something that's you're paying 110 for something that's going to be worth 90 in six months Mm -hmm. so why don't we talk about how uh the close in fronts, they initially traded a premium and then yep. they collapse. So well, we... the, the, the market's actually quite good at correcting for this and yep. it corrects for it by losing money. Now, what do the underwriters do? For a few days or maybe even a few weeks after the IPO, they use some of their newfound uh, riches to actually artificially manipulate the price. Yep. Uh, while you're still on the phone uh, uh, selling uh, some selling of them or talking about it, yep. and you're still talking to these clients, you might want to prop up the price. So they'll actually buy uh, the shares for a little while. And then when they're tired of doing that, then the price collapses. Yep. Uh, within a few months, uh, almost all of them are down. And then uh, by the end of the year, uh, they're down quite substantially so you'll lose money in a like like clockwork and you can look at the last few years of these to see that happen so the issue is you're buying you're buying and you're paying kind of a larger than normal uh a larger than normal expense fee Mm -hmm. to manage this close-end fund because no one can really kick the managers out and you're trading it's an illiquid asset you can't really demand your money back you have to just sell your shares so they trade at a discount to what a uh kind of a mutual fund would they start out at a premium, they end up trading at a discount. But I think there's a way you can make money from close-end funds, and it's not the way most people think. Why don't we talk a- about that? Absolutely. If you if you look at how they're marketed once they're in the secondary market after they're, yep. they're trading, the way that they kind of try to uh, appease their conscience or prevent getting too many calls is they really ask you, they, they imply that you should value these just on the basis of yield. They typically yep. have monthly distributions. Yep. And they'll say, hey, Andrew, uh, so I, I sold you this stuff. I sold you a few million dollars. Or probably 
tens of thousands of dollars of this. And sorry, it's down 30%, but what you should really focus on is you get a distribution each month. Uh, and uh, so, so that's kind of how they keep going. But uh, as the discount gapes open, um, th there is no more price insensitive seller uh, than somebody who bought a closed-end fund on the IPO. If they yep. bought it for no reason, then they'll also sell it for no reason. And, uh, you know, six months or a year into it, if they're trading at a 20 or 25% discount, uh, uh, sometimes uh, that hits right when the NAV has gone down a lot too, and any yeah. kind of mean reversion will be uh, magnified. So there, there are a couple things I want to mention. You and I have had discussions with boards of closed-end funds who trade at really extreme discounts to NAVs, yeah. and we can attest from having spoken to the boards, all they care about is yield. They, we've had management teams admit to us, look, we have a retail shareholder base. All they care about is our distribution. And we'll be like, well, your stock trades at eight and you could you know, create $2 value and liquidate this thing for 10 tomorrow very easily. And they'll say, we can't do that. That would destroy the yield. Yeah. Uh, that's one thing. They're, they're talking about adults. They're paying people an allowance for all intents and yep. purposes with, their, with those strangers' money. money. And they act as if they should be thanked for it. We've been we've been skeptical of dividend yields and such on the podcast before, but sure. in a closed end fund case, in reality, what it is is you take your Fang stock or whatever it is, and you say we've got a hundred dollars. We'll sell ten dollars worth of it, and we'll dividend that back out. There, it's literally a return of money. It's not any type of income stream or anything. Uh, and then my rule of thumb has always been uh, for normal management fees, and there are some that are abnormal, but generally you take the management fee and you multiply it by 10, and that's the discount it should trade at. Mm -hmm. So if they charge 1% per year, multiply by 10, it should trade at a 10% discount. And it starts to get interesting when the discount widens out to 15 or 20%. And the way to really make money is there are some interesting uh, hedge funds and mutual funds that have started buying these, and their express purpose is buying for 80 cents on the dollar and get a liquidation a liquidation or a liquidity event where you liquidate them for a dollar. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's all we've got on closed-end funds. Anything you want to wrap up with? I think that's it. Yeah. Well, thanks again for taking the time to listen to us, everyone. We will be back tomorrow with another podcast. Uh, please, if you haven't done so already, please be sure to follow us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or iTunes. Please rate us if you haven't done so. And we will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks again.